0: Hunting a Killer is a fictional story recorded in chronological order. If you have not listened to the previous episodes, please go back and start from the beginning. We'll be here waiting for you.
1: haven't seen any of the Chucky movies?
0: No, not really. I mean, I have, but it was so long ago. I saw Child's Play like two eons ago. The rest? I don't think so.
1: What? How is that possible? Those are my favorite movies.
0: Chucky is your favorite.
1: Yeah, totally. I watched them with my mom when
0: I was a kid. I'd be willing to watch the Chucky movies from the start.
1: Oh my god! Yeah, that would be a lot of fun.
0: It would be nice to see something that isn't as dark as what we typically do.
1: I think the Child's Play movies would be a good escape for a bit, because you're right, our jobs can get heavy at times. Speaking of that, were you able to get much sleep last night?
0: Off and on. Not a complete sleep through the night.
1: Maybe a night of Chucky movies would help?
0: (laughs) Yeah, possibly. I think I fell asleep that one time when I watched Child's Play 2, actually.
1: No, you didn't. You have to see it again. And if you do fall asleep... Well, you need the sleep anyways.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. (coughs) Oh, God! Oh, these grits are chalky!
1: Well, if you didn't put a pound of cinnamon on them, they wouldn't be that way.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God! Oh, it's awful! Oh, I don't ever order grits. I don't know why I did. Uh, hi, Sandy.
1: Hi, guys. I thought that was you, too. How are you? Uh hey. Good. Hey. Good, yeah. Real good. Just getting some food. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. I love the food here. Well, look. I'll uh, leave you guys to it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's good to yeah. see you, too.
1: Yeah. See you, see you at the office. Okay, bye. Have a good one. Uh. wow. That was a little awkward.
0: I was hoping we wouldn't run into any, uh, co-workers. Oh, well, no worries. I don't think she'll say anything besides we're allowed to go out to eat.
1: Yeah, but I am your boss, though.
0: Yeah, we were just about to discuss the case anyways.
1: Yes, package number four awaits. Let's get back to work.
0: Check, please. Circular Logic Studios presents A Phil Interrupted Production I know what you're thinking. Special Agent Jess and I are getting too close. When I first started as a detective, I made rules for myself. Keep work and personal life separate. Always. That's a rule I've followed strictly until... Well, arriving at the Philadelphia FBI headquarters. But before you or anyone else starts pointing fingers, Special Agent Jess and I are just friends. She's my boss. Still, I admit, I don't mind seeing her outside of work. I'll take any chance I can to look at her. Okay, time for the case. Before we investigate our newest package from Listening Friends of America and John William James, let's review our persons of interest and suspects in our case. John William James, he's our main suspect. His letters have given us a great deal of insight. However, it is clear that he has his own personal agenda. We believe he is not telling us the complete truth, but rather he is withholding knowledge for his advantage. His endgame remains clouded in mystery. Getting himself out of the Darlington facility and regaining his freedom would be my first guess. George Madsen The Vice President and Leader of the Listening Friends of America Darlington, Maryland Facility is a strange person indeed. I often feel he is conveniently concealing information as well. And what about Jacob Nielsen? He appears to be playing a larger role in our case recently. He's inspected the package from John William James the last two times, yet he did not open any of John's personal letters as they remain sealed until arrival to us. And Jacob's handwritten reports differ vastly when it came to handwriting style. The first report was written in print, the second in a lovely cursive. And then we come to Lloyd McGowan, our heavily medicated patient who has been locked up for decades for murder. I still have my doubts about Lloyd's guilt after hearing his audio interviews. Please check back to episode 2, ...to hear his strange interview with a yet unidentified interviewer. Special Agent Jess believes it is possible... ...that Lloyd McGowan and John William James could be the same person. Dr. Richter. The man responsible for Lloyd McGowan's initial care upon his arrival to the asylum. He appears to be a man with much to hide. Is he or his staff truly the ones responsible for the assault and murder? Is he part of a massive cover-up that pinned Lloyd McGowan for the crimes? These questions remain unanswered, shrouded in secret. And our victim, Lillian Grayson, like I've said before, she's at the heart of this investigation. Sometimes in our line of work, the victim can become the lost or forgotten one often because they don't have a voice and can get buried down by those who do, those who wish for her to be forgotten. And that brings us to our newest package. There are some typical things we've come to expect from our packages. A welcoming letter, correspondence from John William James... Various items, articles, artwork, etc. And everything we received in package four will be covered, I promise you. However, since we are on Lillian Grayson, I'd like to talk about a very interesting memo concerning her and Lloyd McGowan we received in our package. The suspicious letter is from none other than Dr. Richter. The doctor at the O'Brien Asylum and talk about incriminating cover-ups. This letter appears to be the definition of such. I believe this letter to be tremendously important, so we will start with it today. It reads as follows. 2. Dr. Samuel J. Hawkins, Vice President, Chief of Staff, O'Brien Asylum, September 27, 1967. Dear Dr. Hawkins, I have never written to you before under such circumstances, and the weight in my heart hopes that I never will again. I am sure that you have heard the rumors of what has happened in my ward today. I dread to say that the rumors are indeed true. A murder has occurred. While it pains me to write you about this, I will attempt an approach that is objective and analytical, as befits men in our stations. A patient, a beautiful young woman named Lillian, was found dead in the janitor's closet early this morning. The horror I faced when I verified her identity was overwhelming, as I admit I had grown fond of the patient over the course of her stay here. She often put the other patients at ease and entertained the staff with amusing anecdotes and jokes. She was something of a tragic figure in this hospital. Full of life, yet suffering from anterograde amnesia. The loss of such a bright star is altogether a most unfortunate event. The man we believe responsible for the murder is another patient, one Lloyd McGowan. He has previously been deemed a danger to himself and others. His outbursts seem completely random and follow no discernible pattern. Though he was placed in quarantine at the far end of the East Ancillary Hallway, it was discovered that his door had been unlocked. The closet where Lillian was found is very near to McGowan's new room. It appears that McGowan was able to break free of his quarantine, find his poor victim, murder her, and hide her body in the closet. We are still waiting for the autopsy report, but it appears he may have raped his victim as well. I understand the initial urge to call the authorities, host the police investigation, and have this criminal lose of himself what he has taken from this world. But I would caution against this, and I ask that you hear me out before making any rash decisions. If word got out about this incident, there is no doubt in my mind we would go out of business. There is no other way around it. It is very unlikely that any of us would be allowed to continue to practice medicine, even in an advisory capacity. The victim's family has long ago forgotten her, or moved on without her. There are no records of any visits from them in the last five years. Who are we to open old wounds? To guilt a family whose only crime was that they simply could not understand, nor handle, our poor patient? If word gets out about her death, they will not only find guilt in their actions, they will likely pursue a lawsuit, again, to put us out of business, or to put us in the poorhouse, or even jail. I say let sleeping dogs lie there. The family will continue on, and Lillian will remain forgotten. To keep things quiet, I suggest we pretend like the whole thing never happened. I will not be so dramatic as to destroy her records but I will remove our file on Lillian and place it in my personal care. This is a tragic day for all of us, I know it perhaps more than anyone here, but we must continue on, the work we do is too good to fail amid disgrace and controversy. Please take your time, but I do hope you respond favorably to my suggestions, in the meanwhile I am, sincerely yours, Dr. William Richter. Richter speaks of his heartbreak for the loss of Lillian Grayson and mentions her diagnosis. Special Agent Jess and I have been wondering what the reason for her stay at the asylum was. Antero-grade amnesia. This condition is when a patient loses the ability to create new memories after the event that causes the amnesia, leading to a partial or complete inability to recall the recent past, while long-term memories from before the event remain intact. As we said on episode two, we believe it's likely that Lillian was sexually assaulted before her murder. This type of amnesia is perfect as your victim simply doesn't remember the crimes. He accuses Lloyd McGowan of the rape and murder as the body was found in a closet near his room. He makes a passionate plea for the incident to be overlooked and kept hush hush. Among his long list of reasons are, Lillian's family has forgotten her, they would go out of business, they could get sued, or even go to jail. Why would any of the staff go to jail for a murder committed by a patient? While they could be held negligent, the staff wouldn't serve time. Could the doctor or his staff be entrenched in something far more insidious than they reveal? Dr. Richter also mentions that he will remove her file and place it in his personal care. How exactly is it possible that we received her autopsy report? Remember, this was enclosed with Lloyd McGowan's file in package two. Another passage that stands out to me is The work we do is too good to fail amid disgrace and controversy. Disgrace and controversy? I believe this letter to be a strong piece of circumstantial evidence pertaining to a criminal cover-up within the facility. I wanted to read Dr. Richter's letter first because of its potentially huge significance in this case. One last note. Dr. Richter's memo to Dr. Hawkins is written on September 27, 1967. Richter mentions the autopsy report was not available yet. Well, looking back at Lillian's autopsy reports that we obtained, it appears that these reports were finished at 7 p.m. on September 27th, 1967. Either Richter didn't wait for the report to be finished, he didn't care about its results, or he already knew its results. Now, for the other items in package four. It's interesting to note, this package was again reviewed by Jacob Nielsen. In fact, the last three packages have been. And again, he does the inspector inventory report as well. And we'll get to that. But first, rather shockingly, Jacob writes a welcoming letter. That's right, Jacob Nielsen wrote it, not George Madsen. George's letters were routine, mundane, run-of-the-mill affairs. However, we've seen in this case that everything is vital, and each word seems carefully placed. This welcoming letter from Jacob could be much of the same. Have a listen. It reads... Dear Listening Friend As you may be aware, certain changes have been taking place at Listening Friends of America... Here at the Darlington Facility, I have been appointed to replace our former Vice President, George Madsen. While I do wish that the circumstances under which I rose to this position would be different, I will do my best to continue the LFOA mission. I know I speak for all of us at the LFOA family when I say that our hearts go out to the Madsen family and we pray for George's return in one piece. For now, we are on to bigger and better things. I have decided to implement a reward system for our residents here. Good behavior deserves recognition. And in special cases, I will be allowing input from residents regarding their views on the daily operations. I think that a closer relationship with the administration will benefit everyone. In fact, we've already had our first success story. Listen well. Your friend believes in you. Sincerely, Jacob Nielsen, Vice President Head of Darlington Operations, Listening Friends of America, www.listeningfriendsofamerica.org. Um, we pray for George's return in one piece. Wow, it seems that George has disappeared and been replaced by Jacob Nielsen. Remember when John William James said in his secret binary code message, I got M? Did he really do something to Madsen? Was that pen that we believe to be stained with blood used as a weapon? George Madsen's departure and Jacob Nielsen's sudden rise to vice president is undeniably alarming and unforeseen. In addition, Nielsen has implemented a reward system for residents with good behavior. Perhaps he is referencing our LFOA friend, John William James. Speaking of him, let's now move on to John William James' correspondence.
1: John William James's letter. Hmm. My dearest friend, I believe these past four months have laid frame to the next panel of our lives in the Great Cosmic Mural. I believe also that without you, this would all have fallen apart, and I would waste my days in utterly despondent isolation. When I was a boy, I lived on a farm not terribly far from here. My father built the house himself after he and my mother purchased the land— my parents, always oblivious to the details, were unaware that an underground stream snaked through the property. The earth became fraught with sinkholes, and I fell in my share of them. I've been fascinated by them ever since. As a sinkhole forms, it remains undetectable to a casual observer. More than once, my father planted a field, only to see half of it collapse on itself a week later. What hope he had was slowly swallowed by the land. Perhaps the path he chose was a mistake. But there came a day when he could not look back. He had become so intertwined with the land, he could only press on and endure. I never liked my father, never respected him. But perhaps you would have found him amiable company. My mother I miss dearly. In times of such duress... I seek comfort in these words, Wan thou April with his showers, Sooth the draught of March hath pursed to the root, And bathed every vein in switch liquor, Of which virtue enraged is the flower. A beautiful musing on rebirth, I find, 125. I also have good news, my friend. It seems our discourse has invited new analysis of our mutual friend, Mr. McGowan. Upon further review, it seems he is to be released. It turns out that he is no more a murderer than you are. Indeed, he might be described better as a troublesome priest than a murderous demon. He heard about you, you know. He offered his toy plane as a gift of gratitude. Apparently, he once dreamed to fly until his hero crashed in a jungle and was never found. Isn't it funny the choices we make of those we admire? Always. John William James P.S. You'll know the demon when you see him in the flesh. What does he mean by, without you, this would have fallen apart? What is the master plan here? He also states that when he was a boy, he lived on a farm. Perhaps the photo of that old barn in the last package was part of the farm he grew up on? Maybe he is reminiscing of his childhood. We could not find any information in regard to that photo, though. I noticed he references sinkholes again, too. Something he hasn't touched on since the original package he sent us. He doesn't seem too fond of his father. Neither did Lloyd McGowan. He references the prologue to the Canterbury Tales and mentions 125. We are still working on this aspect of the case. He has to be trying to tell us something. However, with it being so cryptic, we are having a difficult time with this. Big news! Mr. McGowan is to be released? Interesting indeed. And who is Mr. McGowan's pilot hero? Who crashed and was never found? That's similar to the puzzle solution in the winter newsletter that we had addressed with the last package. The pilot was born this year. 25 years later, he never made it to Brazil. How is this all tied together? Finally, he ends with, you'll know the demon when you see him in the flesh. Which brings me to our next piece of evidence. But first, let's review the inspector inventory sheet. Let me just point out that this is the same handwriting as the other one. And the inspector is Jacob Nilsson, while the handwriting says otherwise. It does not appear to be his, as is the same as the last one with the very hard to read cursive. So the inspector is Jacob Nilsson, patient name John William James, patient number 1618. Item one. LFOA letter. Comments. It is quite clear that the circumstances surrounding Mr. Madsen's disappearance are quite mysterious indeed. Item 2. Faustus print. Comments. Isn't it amusing, the story of Dr. Faustus? A man who craves a solution to his demons, only to find new ones. Item 3. Ohio Farmer article. Comments Here is an interesting bit of history, copied in one of those printing classes. How strange the advertisements are. Ohio seems a bit far away from Darlington, but I suppose that depends on the scale of the map at which one looks. Item 4 McGowan's Airplane Comments What a strange man. What was that pilot's name? Item 5 Letter from Dr. Richter to Dr. Hawkins Comments Dr. Richter, I do believe reasons for his early retirement were never disclosed. He did seem like such a nice man. Item 6 Mr. James's letter Comments Mr. James eloquent as ever, but this is an odd turn, digging up old news. What does he mean to say? Now, back to that last comment John William James stated in his letter, you'll know the demon when you see him in the flesh. A black and white photo of Dr. Faustus selling his soul to the devil. Lo and behold, using a magnifying glass, I discovered the letters made up the name Richter in the flesh of the devil. On the back of the photo, there is the Latin phrase. I'm not fluid in Latin, so forgive me because this is going to be incorrect. non sequo, sus sequitur canes ostender verities. From what we have deciphered from that is not to follow the dogs, to show the truth of the swine it follows. What do pigs and dogs have to do with anything? Could it possibly be somehow connected to another piece of evidence he sent to us? He sent us a page from The Ohio Farmer, dated April 23rd, 1892. We have not, for the life of us, been able to figure this one out. Now, in the inspector notes, it pointed out how strange the advertisements are. However, reading this minuscule newsprint, the only advertisement that remotely stands out is... Wanted. A responsible man in every township to canvas for the only successful attachment to planters for furrowing and gauging depth of covering. For circulars and terms, address J.K. Hedges, Asheville, O. Every other article refers to livestock, food for livestock, and tick remedies for livestock. This is a farmer's newspaper, so really I guess planting crops and worrying about the grounds isn't too far-fetched. We will dig deeper, as we always do. Perhaps we are missing something. Or maybe in packages to come, which I assume they will, something will tie in with this. Finally, Lloyd's gift to us. A small, red, plastic airplane. Something I imagine young boys playing with. This whole airplane and pilot information really bothered me. So, of course, I had to research it all again. Apparently, a famous pilot by the name of Paul Redfern became known during the summer of 1927 for attempting to fly from Brunswick, Georgia to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. But he went missing. There was talk of him being spotted several times alive, but there is no credible evidence to support this. Which brings me to the recording we found of Lloyd, during the interview, he states, The ferns are red now. This must be the pilot, who Lloyd looks up to and idolizes. I also went back to Mr. Puzzle's winter puzzle and came across something that we missed. The solution to the puzzle was, The pilot was born this year. 25 years later, he never made it to B. Brazil. I knew B. Brazil was incorrect, and it must have been Brazil. But what I didn't put together at the time was this. All the letters in the alphabet are associated with numbers. For example, A equals 1, B equals 2, C equals 3, and so on. Well, P equals 16, and R equals 18. 16, 18. 1, six, one eight which also represents John William James' patient number. Is he our Mr. Puzzles? I'm truly believing this is so. Else, I have discovered while reviewing old packages for the umpteenth time? That alphabet card. If you do not remember, let me refresh your memory. We received an alphabet card from John William James. What was so odd about it is that the letter X had a period after it. I went back and reread John William James's letter to see if perhaps something stuck out to me. And there was something there. There were two sentences in that entire letter that ended with words that had an X at the end, followed by a period. The first one was flux, and the second one was box. The words that began the next sentence and immediately following the X period were mooted and scungy. I played around with those in my head for a while, ultimately coming to the conclusion that it was, yet again, another puzzle. and scungy are anagrams to doomed Cygnus. If you recall from package one, the star map and the photo of the swan, after that first package, I learned more about Greek mythology than I had ever imagined. And now we're back to it. Let me refresh your mind. Cygnus means swan. We need to figure out who our Cygnus is and why they are doomed.
0: As the case continues and the months pass, we believe more and more in the cover-up angle. Dr. Richter and his boss, Dr. Hawkins, are these men responsible for the lack of knowledge about Lillian Grayson? Did they cover the murder up and dump her body on Weiss Island? When we first received the case, we got a clipping from a 1967 newspaper article We now know that the Jane Doe featured in the article is Lillian Grayson. Remember the report stating the body had an autopsy performed? We have proof the autopsy was performed at the asylum. Was the staff at this asylum so bold as to simply dump her body like throwing out trash, full well knowing that no one would know her identity? The more this plays out, the more that could be the truth. I'm still not 100% certain about Lloyd McGowan's guilt. More evidence is needed to know, and I'm guessing we'll find out more. And this evidence will undoubtedly come from the elusive and mysterious John William James. I have yet to wrap my head around this man's motivations, and I have a sneaking suspicion that's exactly the way John wants it. None of this is easy, but have faith, we will remain on the course forward. No matter the amount of manipulation or deceitfulness ushered against us, we will see through to the absolute truth while hunting a killer. This has been a Circular Logic Studios presentation. Hunting a Killer is produced, written, and performed by Phil and Jessica Allen. Editing by Phil Allen. Based on Hunt a Killer.